This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Art Cloud. Trusted by thousands of galleries, artists, and collectors worldwide, Art Cloud's all-in-one art management solution and integrated art marketplace is the fastest growing of its kind. Use Art Cloud's marketplace to discover and buy exceptional pieces tailored for your taste, share your favorites with friends and fellow art enthusiasts, and use the app to visualize artwork in your own space. If you're an artist or gallery, plug into ArtCloud's best-in-class art management platform, including easy-to-use client inventory management, sales assistance, and the opportunity to grow your business by listing your art on ArtCloud's booming marketplace. Ready to explore ArtCloud? Registration is free, so sign up now on ArtCloud.com, spelled A-R-T-C-L-D.com, and request a demo today. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're here with Lisanne Schuyler, writer and director of numerous award-winning fiction and documentary films, including the upcoming HBO documentary film Brillo Box Three Cents Off, debuting on August 7th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on HBO. And the film follows a beloved Andy Warhol Brillo Box sculpture as it makes its way from Lisanne's family living room to a record-breaking sale at Christie's. Lisanne, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. First, uh, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about the story you tell in your upcoming film. Sure. So the film is following the path of an Andy Warhol Brillo box that my family once owned, um, which is really more of the, the premise, just to explore questions about value in art and the ways we connect with different works of art, and also how these um, how these objects change in meaning and value over time, and what are the various forces that propel those changes. Um, so we follow it as it, you know, we meet my parents who started collecting in the late 60s. Um, they, they collected a lot of um, artists who are very known now, but we're, in, you know, we're certainly on the um, avant-garde then and not as established at that time and took a lot of chances and um, really immersed our family lifestyle and, you know, going to galleries. And from there, we follow the box as it, go, you know, changes hands and lands with different collectors, um, including a very well-known collector named Robert Shapazian, who was um, this very respected collector who also was the founding director of the Los Angeles Gagosian Gallery. Um, as we keep moving through time, eventually it lands at Christie's, and that's where it becomes very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting when we dissect auction results now or read articles about the art markets. We often hear about these very prominent collectors who are spending a substantial amount of money acquiring these blue chip artworks by artists such as Andy Warhol. But at the time your parents acquired this Brillo box in 1969, it was only for about $1,000. And uh, as you get into in your film, the majority of the art world really rejected the idea that even a Brillo box should even be classified as art. But your, your parents clearly thought it was art and liked it so much they bought it for their collection. I'm curious, what kind of collectors and really people uh, are they to, to purchase such a cutting-edge piece to display in their home that was rejected nearly entirely at the time by the art world? What kind of personality uh, do they have to be able to, to acquire something like that? Well, on the one hand, my parents really responded to um, – you know, my, my parents were both very instinctive collectors. Um, and I think that's a, a kind of an important thing about collecting. You can't always articulate why, but sometimes you're just drawn to this work. And so on the one hand, they were very um, 
interested in that and kind of taking chances on things, and they really enjoyed the conversations that would happen when people would come to their homes. So people would come over, look at the Sprilla box, and they would literally be like, Rita, what is this? You know, mm-hmm. and, and this is an art, and take it, put it in the garbage. It looks like an empty box and all those, all those types of things. Um, they also got comments on, uh, you know, similar comments and other artists like Cy Twombly, like uh, literally someone once said, what child scribbled that? Like, which of your children you know, made that, you know, that's yeah. a scribbling thing. Um, Neil Jenny was another artist who um, was often compared to finger painting. It was very primitive kind of abstract work. And um, people often, you know, so people would always comment on the work. And I think my parents really enjoyed that people didn't always quote, get it. And that it was a little bit unusual. Like their friends didn't collect, um, their parents didn't collect. Um, uh, it was just something unusual that they were you know, really drawn to. On the other side of it, as the film also explores, um, it was for my dad as well a way to invest. Um, so when he was when he first encountered that Brillo box, his friend that had shown him the ropes of art collecting kind of introduced him to galleries. His friend literally said to him, "Like this is a great starter piece. You know, it was a second piece my my dad bought practically." And he literally he almost advised him like you know buying your first house or something you know like this is a good way to get into the market and and at the time you know it's interesting because with Andy Warhol there were so many ups and downs and nuances and shifts in the way people perceived him so the Brillo boxes he made after of course the soup cans in the Maryland so he was established but people didn't respond to the Brillo boxes that show wasn't as successful as as um uh, Warhol thought hoped it might be you know there's this great story about how um how Andy Warhol hoped people would just walk down the streets with their Brillo boxes and like people just you know just didn't buy them. So it was on the one hand he was kind of known, but on the other hand it, the piece wasn't really um, appreciated for what it was today. Where now everyone just is constant. Just the dialogue about Brillo boxes really just keeps going, and it's kind of amazing how people are still ascribing new meanings to it, still debating what it means, still debating whether or not it's art. You know, it's just still one of those hot you know hot button. Um, or just like a piece that just really pushes conversation about what art is. Yeah, and your parents sold the work in the 1970s. You spoke to them about that as well as others and how Warhol is perceived at the time. I guess did anyone, now we look at Warhol and think of him differently probably than we did then. I guess did anyone, your parents included, really foresee his importance and the legacy he's left today? Well, I think that my mom um, really connected with Warhol, and I think she did feel that he was going, you know, that he was extremely important, and and she personally really responded to his work and his sensibility. Um, you know, my dad, you know, looking back again, it's 40 years later, and so the film is really looking back, you know, and, um, and you know, at that moment, and the way my dad remembers or reflects on it is that um, he really, you know, he was really more drawn to the Peter Young work. He traded it for a Peter Young drawing. And Peter Young at the time was a very was a very much a rising artist, um, very much someone people were talking about. And uh, my dad not only thought that he was um, going places, you know, so to speak, but also, and I think this is an important um, kind of like a, I think something that's true about collecting for a lot of collectors is my you know my dad had gotten to know Peter around Soho and he connect like felt connected to that artist and so I think acquiring that work was kind of an expression of that, you know, that also that he really like appreciated Peter. Peter had this great sense of humor and um, he would often just see him around, you know, look, you know, would go look at art together and stuff like that. So um, there was that sense of, you know, well, my parents were trading work because in order to get more work, they would have to make choices. Like they couldn't keep everything and there wasn't even enough wall space, even if they, even if they could. So they, that was how the the box you know came to be traded away. It was just one of those, well, maybe we'll go with this work instead of the other one, you know. 
And despite the art world initially rejecting the Brillo box, why do you think it went on to become such an important piece of art for Warhol and even pop art and 20th century art in general? I think that, and I think this is true of a lot of Warhol's works, that you first look at it and you think, oh, okay, it's just a Marilyn, it's just a soup can, it's just the surface. Um, but I think why his work is so enduring, and I think this is so true about the Brillo box, is that there are just so many ways to look at to look at what he was maybe intending with the, with these works, which is of course you know a mystery because he was so good at not verbalizing, you know, per, or of purposely avoiding verbalizing or explaining his work. Um, and I think with the Brillo box, it's just this trickster in art history, you know, where it does. I think it keeps. I think it. I think why it's so important today is because over the years people have just returned to it to kind of keep reassessing, like you know, um, what makes it art. Why does something that you know looks just like a commercial product? Um, you know, but taken out of context, um, you know, to put, taking this object and turning it into something that resembles it, but isn't really quite the same thing, putting it in the gallery, putting it in someone's home, like how, you know, what are the different meanings, you know, that come out of that? Um, some people think, you know, Warhol had this great exhibit in 64 with all of his brillos and the supermarket boxes and all stacked up in a way, like almost like a maze where you couldn't even walk through like this crowded storeroom or something. And you could, there, um, some people say, well, maybe he was making fun of the art world, you know, putting all these like pro- things that looked like products, you know, in this in this beautiful gallery. You know, another way of looking at it is that maybe he was making fun of um, um, the way we elevate, you know, objects or the way we bring these art objects to like, you know, commercial status, you know, you know, you know, in a sense, which is of course very very prescient, you know, in a way. Um, and I think there's just another level of the Brillo box, which is that it is just a wonderfully um, and Laura Paulson um, from Christie's appears in the film puts it really well, where it's just some a piece that really is very enduring. It's like on a, on a surface value, the graphics are so engaging and so um, playful that you kind of are immediately sort of drawn to it. So there's this very like sweet and kind of nostalgic kind of aspect of it. Um, you know, it reminds you of this post-war, you know, this innocent domestic period and all these all of these things. And so I think it it um, works on this level where it reminds us of domestic things or just different, you know, makes us feel nostalgic about different periods in American history. And then there's all these different complexities that are just there for us to, um, you know, to continue to debate. And the work eventually sells for about $3 million at Christie's in 2010, the same one that you grew up with in your living room yes. as a toddler. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting when we follow the art market here, we don't really think about all the hands uh, that artworks go through uh, from the beginning was purchased very cheaply uh, to when it ends up in the auction house, uh, certain artworks selling for a lot of money. Well, I'm curious, what was the feeling like for you and your parents uh, when that happened? When it sold for a lot? Well, it was a very interesting thing because, I, you know, when, it, when we found out that it, it – um, when we found out that – it had come up for auction. I remember, you know, you know, at that point, this was 2010. Um, you know, at that point, Warhol's, you know, he's, he's been rising, you know, in the art market for about, you know, over 10 years. And so I knew it was going to be a very big um, sale. And I felt a lot of anxiety about it because I didn't want my parents to feel bad. Um, but I think that, um, I think that these prices, like, you know, when it sold for that, I think part of making this film was a way for us to kind of reflect on it and what, and what it meant. And I think that it is um, the ultimate symbol about how you cannot predict the future. Um, and particularly about, you know, the, the path artworks go on is just so incredibly unpredictable. I mean, you just never know um, what's, 
you know, things that are popular in one era are you know, unpopular, you know, in another. And, and often it is these very random factors that collide, you know, to create value. So it's impossible to, it's really very difficult, I think, to, um, quote, invest, you know, in art in that sense. But I think it did kind of going through this film and kind of collaborating with my parents and telling the story and interviewing them at different points, I think was a way to think about, you know what, um, we don't, you know, we don't have this work in the sense of, or we didn't, we no longer have this valuable object in our home, but we do have the experience of what it was like to live with this Warhol and the conversations it created and the fact that it is part of our family history. Um, so be, making the film was kind of a, just kind of a way to kind of, you know, just contemplate these different, these different um, meanings and sort of like come to terms, I guess you could say. <laughs> The film is Brillo Box, Three Cents Off, debuting on August 7th at 10 p.m. Eastern on HBO. I had a chance to see it in advance, and it was a great film, and I definitely recommend our listeners check it out. Lisa Ann, thanks so much again for joining us and talking with us about it, and congrats again on the film. Thank you so much, Adam. Thanks to ArtCloud for sponsoring this week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast. Trusted by thousands of galleries, artists, and collectors worldwide, ArtCloud's all-in-one art management solution, an integrated art marketplace, is the fastest growing of its kind. Use ArtCloud's marketplace to discover and buy exceptional pieces tailored for your taste, share your favorites with friends and fellow art enthusiasts, and use the app to visualize artwork in your own space. If you're an artist or gallery, plug into ArtCloud's best-in-class art management platform, including easy-to-use client inventory management, sales assistance, and the opportunity to grow your business by listing your art on ArtCloud's booming marketplace. Are you ready to explore ArtCloud? Registration's free, so sign up now on ArtCloud.com. That's spelled A-R-T-C-L-D.com. And request a demo today.